A most eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this evening for the privilege of gathering together to study a portion of your word. We realize that the human mind is incapable of understanding anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. So it is a request that the Holy Spirit will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. Still in Exodus chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. Exodus chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. It is, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry land, on I mean dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now the message of this section of Exodus 14 verses 15 to 18, as we stated in our last study, is that when God instructs and acts, his ultimate purpose is to reveal his person to people. We stated that we will expand the message by considering two propositions. The first proposition is that when God instructs believers to act, it is for the purpose that will lead to the ultimate purpose of revealing himself. So we began the consideration of this proposition with what may be considered a prelude to the instruction of God given to Moses and Israel in this passage. Now the prelude really is concerned with God's response to a plea that was not recorded but implied in the question, Why are you crying out to me? Now with this question, Implying a plea not recorded, we proceeded to consider God's instruction to Israel and Moses as they are his, as well as his response to Moses' plea that's also unrecorded. Now the instruction of the Lord to Israel through Moses is for them not to be paralyzed by fear. As to stand still, but to continue their travels moving forward, despite the fact that they, they have the Red Sea in front of them. It is this instruction to Israel that is given in the last expression of Exodus 14, verse 15, when he says, Tell the Israelites to move on. Now, this instruction requires Israel. To march out in faith, despite the perceived obstacle before them. You see, faith involves 
taking God at his word, regardless of what the circumstance that may, uh, be, may challenge God's word happen to be. Now, without faith, it will not make sense for Israel to continue to move forward. When in their front is the Red Sea. So, how are they to continue? One must wonder, knowing what is facing them, the Red Sea. However, the eye of faith, the eye of faith, says that somehow God, to whom nothing is impossible, must have a plan to protect Israel. Hence, instruction tell the Israelites to move on. Now, this expression is indeed a command for Israel to continue with their journey towards the promised land. Now, we say this because of the Hebrew words used. The word tell is translated from a Hebrew word that is concerned with verbal communication, so that it may mean to tell or to speak. Nonetheless, the word may mean to instruct, as the word is used to, in the Lord's communication to Moses, regarding how to treat those with skin disease by putting them out of the camp of the Israelites in order to quarantine them, as in Numbers chapter 5, verse 4. Numbers Chapter 5, verse 4. Here the Hebrew word Dabar is translated with the word instruct. So it reads, <clears throat> The Israelites did this. They sent them outside the camp. They did just as the Lord had instructed. That's the word uh, that means it's must to tell. But yes, translated, instructed. Now the word may also mean to proclaim. As in the commandment the Lord gave to Israel in a loud voice. As reported in Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 22. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 22. It reads, Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 22 reads, These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud and the deep darkness. And he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. So here again the word is, really has a sense of to proclaim. Now the word may mean to declare as it is used uh, in Second Kings chapter 24 verse 13. Second Kings chapter twenty four 
reads, As the Lord had declared, Nebuchadnezzar removed all the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and took away all the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. So the word also may simply mean to command, to command, especially as use of God's communication. As Moses relayed, for example, God's instruction to Israel regarding the provision of manna, as we read in Exodus chapter 16, verse 23. <coughs> Exodus chapter 16, verse 23. It is, he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left, and keep it until morning. Now in our passage of Exodus chapter 14 verse 15, the word may mean then to instruct, or command, or even to speak, although the meaning to instruct or to command is probably more communicative to convey that the communication of the Lord to Moses is one that commands an action from the Israelites. The command or instruction that God is, uh, that Moses is to convey to Israelites has a purpose. That is, that purpose is concerned with them continuing their journey. Now that, that the instruction has a purpose is conveyed in the verbal phrase of where we're starting Exodus 14 verse 15 when it says to move on, to move on. Now literally though, the Hebrew is and their journey, and their journey. Now this is because the Hebrew begins with a Hebrew particle that's often translated and in our uh, English versions. However, the Hebrew particle though has several usages. In our passage though, it is used to introduce the purpose of the instruction of the Lord to Israel through Moses so that the Hebrew particle may be translated so, so. Now this kind of usage of the Hebrew particle is reflected in the NIV when they translated the same particle with the word soul in Job's pleading with God to leave him in peace as we read in Job chapter 10 verse 20. Job chapter 10 verse 20. It is, are not my few days almost over? Turn away from me so I can have a moment's joy. 
Now the clause so I can have a moment's joy of the NIV is literally from the Hebrew and let me rejoice a little. And let me rejoice a little. Hence you can understand from the literal translation that I gave you that the word and was translated so in the NIV to convey a purpose of just pleading with God. It is in the same sense then of conveying purpose that the word is used in Exodus chapter 14 verse 15. Although most of our English versions express the idea of purpose using the word to, to in their translation. So you have to move on. That's really uh, conveying some kind of purpose. So anyway, the Hebrew particle used is to express the purpose of the instruction of the Lord to Israel through Moses at, the, at that point in their travels towards the promised land. Again, the purpose of the Lord's instruction to Israel through Moses is for them to continue with their journey as in the verbal phrase, to move on. Now the expression move on of the NIV is translated from a Hebrew word that no doubt means to move in the sense of relocating from one place to another as it is used to describe the movement of Joseph's brothers when he went to see them in the field where they were shepherding their uh, father's flock still in Canaan but they have, by the time he got there they have changed their location as it is used in Genesis Chapter 37, verse 17. Genesis, chapter 37, verse 17. It is, they have moved on from here. The man answered, I heard them say, let's go to... uh, Dotan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dotan. So we have the word here, uh, no doubt deflating the idea of movement. Nonetheless, the word may mean really to set out, to set out on a journey. As when Israel, that is Jacob, first moved to Egypt with his family because of Joseph's request. As recorded in uh, Genesis chapter 46 verse 1. Genesis. Chapter 46 verse 1. It is so Israel set out. That's the same Hebrew word translated to move. Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Now the Hebrew word may mean to withdraw or even to depart. As Israel withdrew from a battlefield against Moab after the king of Moab, in desperation, 
sacrifice his son to their God with the hope that he's going to win the battle between him and the Israelites. This is recorded in Second Kings chapter 3 verse 27. Second Kings Now the, uh, the battle was going badly against him So here we read Then he took his firstborn son Who was to succeed him as king And offered him as a sacrifice On the city wall In other words that's where he killed him The fury against Israel was great They withdrew And returned to their own land now this, the word cannot simply mean to march or to journey. As it is used by uh, a person going through stages of movement, as it is used for Pharaoh and his armies, uh, pursuit of the Israelites after they left Egypt, as recorded in Exodus 14 verse 10. Exodus chapter 14 verse 10. It is, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching. That's a Hebrew word. He is not trusted, marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Now, so it is in the sense of to set out on a journey. That the word is used in our passage of Exodus 14 verse 15. Consequently, the purpose of the Lord's instruction to Israel through Moses is that the Israelites should not stand still because they were paralyzed with fear of clearly helpless situation in that they were being pursued by the Egyptian army. While in front of them was the Red Sea. So you can see what they are facing. The army behind them, the Red Sea in front of them. So they don't know what to do. So panic step in. But God said, move on, keep going. And that is what I'm saying, that requires faith on their part. Looking at the obstacle. And don't pay attention to the obstacle and keep doing what God says for you to do. So they are to take what we call step of faith. Anyhow, remember that the first proposition that we're expanding is that when God instructs a believer to act, it is for a purpose that will lead to the ultimate purpose of revealing himself. Now this proposition is derived then in part from the instruction of the Lord to Israel through Moses. Since the purpose of this instruction is for Israel to continue their journey to the promised land. Which is God's purpose for them that will eventually reveal his person as a God of the Hebrews. That eventually 
will be the purpose. So anyway, we have considered the instruction of God to Israel through Moses. So, we proceed with his instruction to Moses. The last instruction to Moses involved raising of his staff in his hand. As in the first expression of passage we are studying Exodus 14 verse 16. Look at that expression. It says, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea. That's instruction. Now this instruction to Moses is really a reminder that God remains true to his word. That God remains true to his word. Now the Lord had informed Moses that his staff that was in his hand when he received his commission from him to be his agent of deliverance of the of the Israelites, that that staff will be used for miracles, as we read in Exodus chapter 4, verse 17. Exodus chapter 4, verse 17. This word says, But take this staff in your hand, so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Now before the first plague, the Lord reminded Moses that he was to use his staff to perform miracles because he instructed him to take his staff to meet Pharaoh before the first plague of turning water into blood according to Exodus chapter 7 verse 15. Exodus chapter 7 verse 15. It reads, Exodus 7 verse 15 reads, Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the water. Wait on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. And he did. Now, the Lord did not limit the miracles to be performed using Moses' staff to the land of uh, Egypt, where the Lord no doubt performed many miracles of judgment by instructing uh, Moses to use his staff. In the plague of hell, for example, Moses' staff was involved. Although it was not clearly stated, but that's implied in the instruction of Exodus chapter 9 verse 22. Exodus chapter 9 verse 22. It is, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that hell will fall all over Egypt on men and animals and on everything growing in the field of Egypt. Now, so in the plague of locusts, Moses' staff was also involved, as we read in Exodus chapter 10, verse 12. Exodus chapter 10, verse 12. 
He reads, And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over Egypt, so that locusts will swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hell. Likewise, in the plague of darkness, Moses' staff was involved. As we read still in that Exodus chapter 10, look at verse 21. It is, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky so that darkness will spread over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. Now it is true that in the three examples that we cited, there was no explicit reference to Moses' staff. But it was implied as we learn from two of the three examples. Now this is because Moses did not forget the original statement of the Lord regarding him performing miracles using the staff that was first turned into snake when the Lord commissioned him to be his agent of Israel's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. Now here is the thing that we are looking at. Moses here, he remembered that. Even though God says, stretch out your hand. A miracle is going to be taking place. He has to remember what the Lord told him. Which is something that is very important in our spiritual life. There may be times we hear something. That does not mean that we should forget what we already knew. Or the lessons that we have been taught before. We shouldn't forget them because something new has just been given to us. But many times, the new instruction will assume that we should go back to the old, the previous instruction before we can execute whatever the new instruction is. So this is the case. Although God did not say to Moses, now raise your staff for this miracle. He just said, stretch your hand. And so Moses knew what that meant. And that's what I'm going to demonstrate to you. He, he knew that what God was saying is, is not just stretch your hand. Because he already told him, you're going to perform miracles using your staff. Therefore, when he says, do this, then it is assumed that he understood the conditions involved. Now, what, some of the things that I like to use to illustrate this is um, take things like marriage. God gives instruction to husband and wife about certain things. Well, part of those instructions assume something. The assumption is that you are talking to two believers. See, that's an assumption. So when you read certain things in the Bible, concerning husband and wife, this the assumption is they are believers. Now why would that be an assumption? Because the Bible is very clear, if you're a believer, don't marry an believer. See? So even though you may talk about this, uh, whatever instruction, like some of the things we studied in First Corinthians chapter seven, those things are uh, geared towards who are believers. 
So if you're an unbeliever, if you're a believer married to an unbeliever, you're in trouble. Because you did not obey God's instruction to begin with. Anyway, so Moses, for him, he understood. God said, raise your hand. I mean, stretch your hand. He understood what I mean is raise your staff. So let me prove to you that this is what he understood. I say this because in the plague of hell, the instruction was for Moses to stretch his hand. But when he obeyed God, we are informed that he stretched out his staff. As we read in Exodus chapter 9 verse 23. Exodus 9 verse 23. It is when Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky. The instruction wasn't for him. He just said, stretch your hand. But look at what we now read. When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hell, and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hell on the land of Egypt. Now the same understanding, that stretching of Moses' hand, when God commanded him to do so, implies stretching out his staff is also demonstrated in, in the plague of locusts. Now, although the Lord had commanded Moses to stretch out his hand without any reference to his staff, but when he obeyed the instruction, we are told that he stretched out his staff in Exodus chapter 10, verse 13. So what Exodus chapter 10 verse 13 reads So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land and all that day and all that night by morning the wind had brought the locusts and so you see that in all of this Moses had to remember, assume that God is talking about that staff. Because that's what God told him. That's what you're going to use for miracles. So if the Lord says to him, stretch your hand, he didn't say, okay, let me just stretch my hand. No, he has to remember that it's my staff. There's a symbol to it that he told me, I'm going to use it for uh, miracles. So furthermore, though, Moses... Certainly would not have gone anywhere though without his staff. That would be the implication. He wouldn't go without that staff in his hand. Because he never knows when God would do a miracle. It's not up to him to decide. So he was ready. Just as, in a sense, you may say you don't have a staff of what you're going to do. But yes, he's saying though, God can use us anytime for whatever reason he wants. So how do we ensure that we're qualified to be used at all times? Be filled of the Spirit. That's how you do that. You be filled of the Spirit. So that no, at any time you're ready. So if you walk around as a believer, being cautious who is controlling your soul, then you are at God's disposal. 
and you, he can use you anytime. So, you, while you may say, I don't have a staff like Moses, yes, you have the Holy Spirit given to you. And that Holy Spirit is one that is responsible for achieving whatever it is in your life. And the only way you can do that is to ensure you are filled with the Spirit. Which means, of course, you resist temptation to sin. And when you sin, you immediately admit it before God. When you do that, you are cleansed and you are filled with the Spirit. Anyway, so Moses, for him, there's no way for him to go anywhere without his staff. Hence, it should be clear that whenever the Lord commanded Moses to stretch out his hand, that that involved his staff. Now we have noted that in all the miracles of plagues where Moses was commanded by the Lord to stretch his hand, that the instruction was understood by Moses to mean that he should raise his staff. But in the instruction of the Lord to Moses, prior to the dividing of the Red Sea, the Lord was clear that the raising of Moses' hand will involve his staff. As we read in the command of Exodus, chapter 14, verse 16 that we are studying. Look at that again. It says, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea. Now, so you ask yourself, Why? Since all this time he would just say, raise your hand. And that's it. But now, see what he said. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea. So we ask, why? Why, is this, why does the Lord do that now? Well, as we have uh, indicated, it is really so Moses will recognize that his staff, that the Lord instructed him to take with him after his uh, encounter with the Lord is for miracles that are not limited to Egypt. In effect, the Lord wanted Moses, or wanted to remind Moses, that he has not finished with using his staff for miracles just because they have left Egypt. Because the Israelites are on their way now. So it is possible for Moses to say, okay, well, maybe he's done his purpose. God is saying, no, it's not done its purpose. So this truth is later conveyed to Moses in the instruction of using his staff to provide water for Israel by striking a rock, according to Exodus chapter 17, verses 5 through 6. Clearly, the Israelites have cleared the land of Egypt, have crossed the Red Sea, and now we have this command. Again, going back to that staff. He reads, The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water 
will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And that's, you know, by God's grace, it was still a long time. We will get to this whole passage. But here at least we see they are no longer anywhere in Egypt. And that staff is still doing what it's supposed to do. And at this aside, we insist that the command of Exodus 14 verse 16, when it says, Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea, is to remind Moses that he has not done with him, or with him using his staff, in performing miracles. In fact, this is really the only time the Lord explicitly commanded Moses to raise his, his staff and his hand in the same command. This is the only time. Again, as we indicated, the Lord wanted Moses to recognize that a future command of stretching his hand still implies that he should raise his staff. For, for the next time the Lord commanded Moses to stretch his hand, he did not mention his staff, as that would then be understood by Moses as in the command to reverse the flowing of the, divide, uh, the water when he divided the sea, the Red Sea, as in Exodus 14 verse 26. Exodus 14 verse 26 reads, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch your hand over the sea, so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. So here no more mention of staff. Anyway, furthermore, there is really a sense that the command of Exodus 14 verse 16, raise your hand, I mean raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea, is really humorous. In that, in the first judgment of Egypt, that, that involved Moses, involved his using of his staff to strike the Nile so that the water turned into blood. And here, the new humorous thing about it, the last judgment on the Egyptians would also involve Moses' staff being used in, almost being, uh, for striking the water. In this case, you see, in a sense, uh, symbolically, instead of a river. So that is the thing. He began the first miracle, water, but this time it was Nile that turned into blood, that inconvenienced the Egyptians. But the last time involves water, where he destroyed all of them. So anyway, the command of Exodus chapter 14 verse 16, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the uh, the sea, although on a surface reading appears to involve two separate commands, but in truth we have just one command that the first command that is elaborated by the second command. Now there are two indicators that this interpretation is correct, that we don't have two commands here. When you say raise your staff and stretch your hand uh, 
over the sea that relates not to command. Surface reading, you think there are two commands, but no, we say it's only one command. That's been explained. There are, so there are two indicators for that interpretation. The first indicator is the conjunction and used to connect the two commands. It is translated from a Hebrew particle that we see many, many times in the uh, uh, Exodus here. That's often translated and in our English versions. However, it has other, other usages. Now in the command, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea. That particle is used as a marker of explanation. Or simply to explain what precedes. So that it has the meaning that is, instead of saying, and do whatever we are uh, uh, looking at here. So what I'm saying that is the Hebrew particle translated and should be translated that is. Now if that is done, that means that the command raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea may then be translated this way. Raise your staff that is stretch out your hand over the sea. So you see it's not two commands. Raise your hand that is stretch out your hand over the sea. Now that's the first indicator the word hand. The second indicator that the command we're considering is really to be considered a single command in which the second command explains the first is the fact that when Moses obeyed the command, it is only the second command that explains the force that is referenced in Exodus 14, verse 21. Look at verse 21 of Exodus, chapter 14. Look at what it says now. Then Moses stretched at his hand over the sea. No more mention of the staff. Because the, com- the first one is the first command, but it's explained by the second. He said, And all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. Then the waters were divided. So if Moses understood the commands as two different commands, he would have stated that he raised his staff and then stretched his hand over the sea. But that was not what we read here. Therefore, the command should be understood as a single command that is explained more fully by the next command that is issued. Now be that as he may, the next command the Lord gave to Moses is expressed in the NIV in the verbal phrase of Exodus 14 verse 16 when it says, to divide the water, to divide the water. Now literally the Hebrew reads, and divide it. And divided. You see, the word divide is translated from a Hebrew word that may mean to split, to split, as in the Lord's splitting of the ground to bury alive Korah and those who join him to rebel against Moses' authority as their spiritual leader, according to Numbers. Chapter 16, 
verse 32. Numbers chapter 16 verse 32. It reads, And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their household and all chorus men and all their possessions. So, here the, really the issue is that the earth open its mouth is really a split open. Now it is in the sense of to split open or to split something really that the word is used in reference to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Mount of Olives will split to form a valley according to Zechariah Chapter 14, verse 4. Now those who are, uh, all they do is, you know, study prophecy, they run around and that's all they talk about, prophecy, prophecy, what will happen. Uh, some of them are saying, well, there's now a crack in this mountain. That may signal that the Lord is coming. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that. The Lord can come anytime He wants. They but the thing is, uh, we do know that when he comes, he's going to step on that mountain and he'll split into two because of some other things uh, that are involved. Here it says, it talks about that prophecy. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split. That's a Hebrew word, will be split. In two, from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. Now the word also may mean to break as in military activity in the war, as the word is used in Second Kings chapter 3 verse 26. Second Kings chapter three verse twenty six. It is when the king of Moab saw that the battle had gone against him, he took with him seven hundred swords men to break through to the king of Edom, but they fell. Now in our passage though, of Exodus 14 verse 16, the war has a sense of to separate, hence to split or to divide. So it is interesting that the Lord issued a command to Moses to split or to divide the sea. Since Moses was not the one that divided or that split the sea. The dividing or the splitting of the sea was God's action. As we learn from Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 11. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 11. 
it is you divided the sea before them, so that they pass through it on dry ground. But you hauled their pursuers into the depths, like a stone into mighty waters. See, the pronoun here refers to God as the one who divided the sea. Now, if the Lord, though, is the one that divided the sea, we must wonder why he issued the command to Moses as if he were the one that would divide the sea. Remember, God, God is the one that did it. But he told Moses he couldn't divide it. So why is that? Well, this is probably because God wanted Moses to act in such a way as to authenticate him as God's agent of deliverance of the Israelites. That's probably why he did it. See? See, the Israelites, on watching Moses obey God, would then have respect for his authority as God's agent of their deliverance. In other words, we're saying God is establishing Moses' authority clearly before the Israelites, as of course he did with Joshua. As soon as Joshua uh, took the uh, hands of leadership, God established him through some miraculous division of of Jordan, so that he, Israel, would know clearly he was the man God has chosen. So anyway, we are arguing though that the command issued to Moses was symbolic since he did not have any power to bring about the division or the separating of the sea. But his obedience will lead God uh, to, uh, to acting in a way that there could be no doubt that Moses was his servant that he used to deliver Israel from their enemies. That is why it's, the instruction is given to Moses in a way that seems to imply that he was going to do it. All it is is to establish his authority for Israel to recognize him as their leader. Now recall that the first proposition that we are considering though, or expanding, is that when God instructs believers to act, it is for a purpose that will lead to the ultimate purpose of revealing himself. Consequently, God's command to Moses, when obeyed, will result in the Lord dividing of the sea with the purpose of Israel crossing from one side of the sea to another. Now it is this purpose then that is given in the last clause of Exodus chapter 14 verse 16 when it says so that the Israelite can go through the sea on dry ground. Now so the proposition we are looking at is when God uh, commands or instructs believer to act. It's for a purpose. And we are seeing one of those purposes here. Now it says, so that the Israelite can go through the sea on dry ground. A more literal translation 
is something like this. And the Israelites can go in the middle of the sea on the dry land. Let me repeat that. And the Israelites can go in the middle of the sea on the dry land. The conjunction and here, in the literal translation that I use, is the same Hebrew particle that we said quite often is translated and in our English versions, although it has several other usages. Now in our passage, its appearance here at the beginning of the last clause of Exodus 14 verse 16, it is used to introduce the purpose of dividing or splitting the sea. And so that it may be translated that or so that. As you will find in some of our English versions, they translated not the word and, but so that. Now it is important to recognize that Israel will go through a space between walls of water, as in the last phrase, literal phrase, when they say, in the middle of the sea. That's how the Hebrew reads. In the middle of the sea. Now the literal phrase does not mean that the spot where Israel was uh, will pass on the dry ground is the center of the entire Red Sea. It's not. Now true, the Hebrew word translated uh, middle has that meaning, middle. Or it can mean center. But it's, it is its sense in this last uh, clause of Exodus 14 verse 6 is simply something like mist. In the mist. That is the location of something surrounded by other things. Hence, the miracle of the Lord will involve dividing the Red Sea in such a way as to provide a space for Israel to walk through in crossing the Red Sea. Now, by the way, the Hebrew word user could also mean into. Into. Which explains the translation of the New Revised Standard Version. In that, this is the way they translate it. Go into uh, sea on dry ground. It doesn't mean they are wrong. It just means that's how they chose to translate the uh, Hebrew word used here. But the thing that God wants them to know is there will be a space. I'm going to make a space. Are you going to go through that space? Wall of water on both sides. Now be that as it may, the miracle that the Lord was to perform was not only that he would make a path or a space that Israel would go through as they move from one edge of the sea to its opposite side, but that they will go through on a dry land. As in the phrase of Exodus 14 verse 16 that we're studying, say, on the dry land. The expression dry land is translated from a Hebrew word that is used figuratively for the poor spiritual condition of Israel that is in need of God's blessings. As the word is used in Isaiah chapter 44 verse 3. Isaiah chapter 44 Verse 3. 
race for our poor water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. So here it is the word dry, is dry land is really more a figurative way of telling Israel you are in need of my spiritual blessings. Now of course it is in the sense of dry surface of the earth as opposed to water that the word is used in Exodus 14 verse 16 to describe the path the Lord provided the Israelites for crossing the Red Sea. See normally if water is removed from a, a body of water the ground is usually wet and muddy unless it is allowed to sit for a period of time for the sun to dry the wet ground. Now that this was not the case when the Lord divided the sea is in and of itself another miracle that goes with the miracle of dividing the sea. He made it so that when Israel passed, as we're going to see later on, it was dry. When the Jesus tried to do cross, the story changed. Anyway, this as, that aside, the point is that the purpose of the command to Moses regarding the dividing of the Red Sea was to fulfill God's purpose for Israel's return to Canaan. That's, this will eventually lead to God revealing himself in terms of his power and many other ways. Eventually we're going to see God reveal himself to them in the mountain of Mount Sinai and more, much more. But this is what we're studying the proposition. That when God instructs believers to act, it is for a purpose that will lead to the ultimate purpose of revealing himself. And that proposition is true because of what we're expanding. So that you know that there is not a command in the Bible that does not have a purpose. And in all of it, when we obey those commands, we'll eventually uh, learn something about God more and more from obeying those commands. So you should know that as a believer, it's, it is to your advantage that when you learn or hear God's instruction to obey it, because there is a purpose. And as it is as you obey that you will come to learn what God's purpose is. And so that should be a challenge to us. And we should know that any time we obey God's instruction, there is a purpose. Whatever the purpose is, will be realized. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will challenge us so that we know that you do not command us without a purpose. So that in whatever way we do, whatever acts, that we may know that yes, there is a purpose in all that you do for us. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen.